When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. All right, here we have Stephanie, and Stephanie is here to share her motherhood experience with us. So before we go ahead and get too far into it, why don't you just give us some basic background information about your family so that we have a little bit of context for the rest of your story? Yeah, um, I have two boys. Um, The older is three years old, and the younger one is four months old. Um, I um, work a couple days a week. I work part-time. in an office outside of my experience, my work experience, um, I was a teacher, but now that um, we're sort of new to the state and we have two little kiddos, it seems like a good time to do something else part-time for a while. Um, and I'm married, I've been married for 16 years, and um, my parents also live nearby. They moved here with us and they provide childcare. Uh, we started um, the process of trying to conceive in 2009, um, which, you know, was a long time ago now. And <laughs> um, I didn't know at the time how um, prevalent miscarriages are. Um, and so right off the bat, I think the thing that helped me most processing them and the things that, help, that helped me most in sort of recovering from them is starting to talk to people. Um, when we started our fertility journey, like everyone I knew, we lived in New York City, and everyone I knew was getting pregnant. It, like they drank the water and they got pregnant. I mean, it seemed like you know, they got pregnant on their honeymoons. They got, you know, it was like everyone was getting pregnant around me. And um, we uh, tried for two years and nothing happened. And so I talked to my OBGYN and she recommended that um, we do some fertility testing. And so we went to a clinic um in manhattan that was part of columbia university um the columbia center for women's reproductive health and got checked out over a period of months and you know my husband got checked out and i had so many you know internal sonograms and oh my gosh it was um it was kind of invasive and blood work Mm -hmm. um and they came back with a diagnosis of unexplained infertility which was kind of frustrating because part of me thought, you know, if you can just tell me what's wrong, we can fix it. Um, but there, I don't know if there was, they didn't have anything to say. And then um, less than a year after that, I got pregnant for the first time and had a, um, a miscarried about a week. Um, you know, they called it a chemical pregnancy. And that was really hard, but um, I thought, you know, I'll get pregnant again. Like, I'm so excited to like this is such a positive sign 
Um, and then six months later, um, I got pregnant again, had um, a first sonogram and the doctor said, you know, um, like everything looks great, but it's still really early. We don't see a heartbeat yet. Let me send you for another sonogram. And because of Hurricane Sandy in New York City, it ended up taking a really long time to get another sonogram. And then I got the other sonogram and it didn't, it, they said, you know, the baby hasn't grown at all. Um, you're really gonna have a miscarriage. And then um, they gave me a series of options and um, it just, it took forever. And it ended up taking about um, another three weeks. Um, and at that point I opted to have a DNC um, because it just, I was teaching, I was so, terrified of miscarrying at work um and you know it's hard enough to pee when you're a teacher let alone like what do you do if you mm -hmm. start miscarrying in the middle of the work day like um not to mention just the emotions oh, i can't even imagine just the overwhelm and the emotions yeah. that had to have just been absolutely yeah terrible. so i was really thankful that i was able to get a dnc and they um it was at a different hospital because um i don't know if you all heard but like here but during her after hurricane sandy in new york city they canceled all um, on, what do they call it? Um, basically all unnecessary surgery, uh, elective surgery, and they considered that an elective surgery after Hurricane Sandy for, for like a month. Um, and so, and they ended up having to evacuate some of the hospitals because a bunch of them got flooded. And um, it was just, it was a really traumatic time. And my husband ended up having, he traveled a lot during those years and he ended up being out of the country when I had to have the DNC and it was, it was really hard. Um, and it took a long time, a long time, um, and a lot of therapy to, uh, not be sad or as sad. That was actually going to be my next question was, you mentioned in addition to therapy that talking to other women about your experiences was something that you found really helpful. So what were some of the things that made you feel a little bit more comforted or feel like you could kind of cope a little bit better? <laughs> Actually, like talking to other people was probably the most. I was teaching at an elementary school, um, a large elementary school in Brooklyn, and there were just so many other women that like once other people started to hear that um, we were struggling with fertility and that I had had a, a couple of miscarriages, you know, word travels first of all. And then I, you know, people started to tell me their stories. And I realized that so many of these other women that I thought just, you know, had had babies easily um, actually had had really tumultuous fertility journeys. And um, mm -hmm. I really, you know, some of my strongest friendships to this day forged over like one of my best friends had seven um uh ivf treatments that didn't take um and she she has a, a daughter now who's seven but like um you know just talking to other women who've had a variety of experiences really also helped me kind of figure out how we wanted to move forward and um and i knew i wanted to have a family and i knew i wanted to be a mom and it really, it, talking to all those people really helped me realize, like, I don't want to go through fertility treatments. And that was helpful, too. So, like, I talked to a therapist and I talked to all these people. And, I'm, and just making a plan moving forward. Um, you know, some people have other plans and they decide to go through assisted reproductive therapy treatments and things. And that's, 
helps them kind of move forward is to make a, a plan like that. And my plan just was, I hate this. I hate sitting in a waiting room. I hate um, waiting on my body. And I hate the idea that like my body has failed me twice. Um, and mm -hmm. so I said, you know, this is for the birds. Like, I don't care, you know, I don't care how kids come to me. Like I knew I loved my students. I knew that I knew other people who had fostered. I knew other people who had adopted. And at that point, you know, my husband and I talk a lot about it and decided to become um, foster parents. Um, we sort of briefly looked into infant adoption and realized um, it was super expensive. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to a friend who said that um, she actually knew two different women at her church who had fostered and adopted um, and pretty quickly and then had ended up adopting multiple children <laughs> um, through the foster care system. And so we ended up, we started out wanting to foster to adopt um, and not really realizing that that's not really the purpose of foster care. Um, the purpose of foster care is to reunite children with their um, birth families, but, or their biological families. Um, we uh, went through the process, it took a little over a year, and that was just so to like, we set up a nursery, we had to have a home study, we had to talk about um, what, how we wanted to parent, we had to talk about you know, how we plan to discipline children. Um, and it was exciting and it was, um, it was really nice to just move past, um, not to like, it wasn't a tidy end to, um, you know, dealing with the miscarriages, but it was active, which is what I liked instead of reactive. And um, uh, we were licensed, we went through our home study we started the process in what, like August? I don't even remember the year now, maybe 2013. We were, we had our home study in the spring and it took forever for them to process the home study, which is typical for foster care. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. And then once you're licensed, it happens really fast. So um, we actually had gone to visit my parents in Vermont um, and we got the call there. Um, our first call, um, we'd been licensed for about a week and the caseworker said, you know, that she knew that we were hoping to um, adopt, that we were interested in an infant. And she said, I've got the, the perfect baby for you. Um, you know, she, it's a little girl, she's five months old. Um, and she said that the mom, she didn't think that the mom was gonna be able to get custody back and that this was probably going to be an adoptive placement. And I just was, like, this is amazing. This is everything I've always wanted. Like, we were so excited. Like, on our way home, we stopped at a Bye Bye Baby and, like, got diapers, bottles, and all of these things that, like, we hadn't gotten yet because we didn't know what age kid was going to come to us. Um, and the little girl came to us, what, less so a few days later? Um, and it became obvious pretty quickly that it actually, we got to know her 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 family, her whole family, um, because they had in New York City, um, foster parents bring the child to visits at the agency. Uh, I know it's, I don't know actually how it's done in Wisconsin. Um, it's a little different in Illinois where we've also fostered, but um, we got to know her family and we got to know them and their circumstances and realized that this wasn't an adoptive placement and that this baby should go home. Um, and that her mom was doing everything within her power to get her child back. 
Um, and we ended up like developing this really beautiful relationship. Um, and we are still close. We still talk a lot. We're friends on Facebook. Um, this little baby just graduated from kindergarten. Um, yeah, oh, her mom wow. like tagged me on Facebook and sent me videos and photos and um, were her godparents. Um, and it's one of the things that I'm probably proudest of in my life is um, I'm going to get a little tear talking. <laughs> uh, the relationship with their family and um, that never would have happened if I had just you know decided to do an IUI or IVF or um, it was it was not easy when to have her go home to her family you know obviously like I really grieved um, the idea of this family that I thought was going to be our family um and, but it was, it, in many respects, it's so much better because I learned so much about the world. I learned so much about foster care. I learned so much about, um, you know, the child welfare system in our country. Um, I learned a lot about what it's like to live in poverty um, and what it's like for families who are just, you know, by the nature of their circumstances, dealing with things that I had never experienced before. Um, and it was very humbling and very rewarding. Well, so much of that is, you know, her mom's um, attitude towards it. Like so many people, it would be completely understandable if she had not wanted to have anything to do with us. Um, but she wasn't that way at all. I mean, we would hang out at visits and, you know, chat. And um, I ended up volunteering. You know, they always say, like, never volunteer to do, um, to supervise visits with the family. And I did. And I would, um, you know, I got a, we got a membership to the um, Children's Museum. And we would go hang out on the weekends with her, um, you know, her mom and dad and, and the baby. And we would all hang out together. And it wasn't easy for them either because a lot of the time the baby, you know, had attached to me and wanted to spend time with me and um and she was just she was so open to the whole experience and um in a way that i know isn't normal in foster care but it was um it was just really wonderful yeah that really is so beautiful was that your only experience as a foster parent um, so <laughs> during part of what shook out of our fertility journey is the fact that my husband was traveling a lot and that was really hard. And so we talked about like how we would move forward just as a married couple and how it, how it, we wanted to be different when we had children. Um, and so he started looking at grad programs, um, mostly outside of New York city and, actually right about the time that we had been licensed as foster parents in New York city. Um, we knew from undergrad had been made the head of a program in Illinois at the university of Illinois. And, um, and he, my husband had reached out and said, you know, I'm interested in grad school. And the, our former professor said, that's, you should, you should come and you should apply. Like, I would love to have you here. 
Um, and my husband told me this, and I, was, I said, under no circumstances are moving. <laughs> you know, like, the, the agency just told us they were going like, to find a baby for us. <laughs> um, and so when it became obvious that our foster daughter was going to go home, uh, I said to him, you know what, like, maybe this is a sign that it leave the city and, and, you know, find out what happens next. Um, and so uh, we moved to Illinois. Our foster daughter went home in um, April and we moved to Illinois in August. Um, and we started the licensing process there to become foster parents immediately. Um, and we actually doubled up on our training. You have to do about 30 hours of training to become foster parents. Um, unfortunately, licenses aren't transferred state to state. So we had to start the process all over again from scratch, do another home study, do all of the, the so we had 60 hours of training. <laughs> In April, um, the day our license became active, we had um, a sibling, a brother and sister placed with us that were eight months, the little boy was eight months and his sister was um, two and a half. And they lived with us for nine months. Um, and went to go live with a family member out of state. Um, so they came to us in April. They left in they left in January. In November, I found out I was expecting. I guess December, <laughs> but um, I found out I was expecting again. And uh, we had not used birth control. I have no idea what changed. Some people say it's because we left the city. Some people say it's because I stopped <laughs> teaching. I wasn't under as much stress. We have no idea. Um, some people said it's because we fostered. I'm like, I have no idea. Um, you know, we didn't start fostering so that I would get pregnant. That was not, you know, why we did it. We just wanted to have, we just wanted to have a family. And, and so I was mm -hmm. terrified the entire time. I was convinced I was going to miscarry again. Um, and, and, um, <laughs> I didn't, and our son was born in, in August of 2017. Um, it was um, a really easy pregnancy, um, and, then, <laughs> and then it sort of got turned on its head at the end. Um, and it became pretty clear. Um, so I, I was induced. I was um, 37 when I conceived, and it was a month before my 38th birthday when he was born. And then um, I was induced a week. He was a uh, not quite a week overdue. It was like four weeks, three days or something um, when I was induced. With labor at all, and um, they just said it's time. You know, you're over. You're over thirty-five. I don't like to go pe let people go very long. Um, and I said, okay. You know, I gave it a college try to go into labor on my own. And um, after. 40 hours of labor, a failed epidural, um, the midwife said, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. <laughs> my vitals started to get a little weird and the baby's vitals started to get a little weird, you know. Um, and so I had an emergency C-section and uh, my son was 10 pounds, 11 ounces. Uh, I didn't get to hold him. Um, he went to a transitional nursery right away with breathing trouble and then blood sugar issues. And it was... It was about seven hours before I got to hold him. And then he was on his way to the NICU, a sort of pit stop. And then he spent five more days in the NICU after that. So it was there six days total. Um, and it 
it became clear um and it took a while for us to sort of figure this out like no one was really very open about it but that um i most likely had undiagnosed gestational diabetes um and that he had sort of all of the hallmarks of baby born with to a mom with undiagnosed with un on uh what do they call it unmonitored gestational diabetes um and that so i mean all of that like the NICU stay the not being able to hold him the having to pump in the NICU um was all really hard i kept getting visited by the emergency c-section recovering from that um was all really hard i ended up starting grad school not long after that like um about a week and a half after that because i'm um, so like, that was all really hard. Thankfully, my parents actually had moved to um, live next door because they wanted to be, they had always wanted grandchildren, they were excited. Um, so they were able to, you know, take some shifts in the NICU and um, help watch him after he came home. So um, I actually think that I was so prepared to lose him along throughout the whole pregnancy that I had sort of shut off a lot of my like ability to feel anything about it like I was pretty mm -hmm. um I wasn't I didn't realize it took me years to really realize what a difficult experience it was and it was really um this spring when I was approaching delivering my son my second son during COVID <laughs> that I really sort of processed how difficult it was and it took um, so I just sort of like went through the motions, like the, the lactation consultants came to me in the NICU and they would say like, this is going to be really, or they came to see me in the hospital and said like, it's going to be really hard for you to produce. You know, you're older, you have a history of, um, pregnancy loss. You have a history of infertility, like you, which would imply maybe that I had some, um, hormone issues and, um, they just kept coming up with reasons why it would be hard for me to nurse my son and, um. I was, that was sort of where my mom bear came out and said, nope, I'm going to make this, I'm going to pump, I'm going to pump at school, I'm going to pump at home, I'm going to pump wherever I need to, um, I'm going to make it work. Uh, and so I actually, <laughs> I met with lactation consultants, I did everything, I, did. I drank gallons of water, um, and I nursed him. So he had formula via feeding tube. He was on a feeding tube for four or five days and I wasn't able to put him to the breast until like the day before he left. Um, and then I nursed for the next two years. Um, and I stopped when I found out I was pregnant again. <laughs> um, so. What was it like finding out that you were pregnant again? A total again? shock. Um, we had like just started having conversations. We had, you know, because I had a pretty traumatic C-section, um, my, mm -hmm. the doctor who delivered my older son said, um, don't get pregnant again for two years. Like, um, <laughs> they kept saying like, you'll have a, you have a high risk of uterine rupture. I'm like, that sounds horrible. Um, so I, you know, we actually used birth control for the first time in a really long time. And, um, and then when our son turned two, uh, my husband had graduated with his doctorate and started looking for jobs. And um, 
and got a job here in Wisconsin. And we were super excited and we said, well, maybe we should think about trying for another. You know, I was um, 39 and, uh, you know, maybe this is our last opportunity to have two kids. And uh, so we got pregnant on the first try. And that would happen. I sort of thought I had an idea, you know, when I was 30 about what the 30s would look like, and it is not what happened. And um, now that I'm turning 41 next month, um, I'm okay with that. Um, but it, it, mm-hmm. um, it took a lot of therapy in the meantime. <laughs> So just taking into account everything that you've been through, this whole wild journey that you've been on, um, what do you wish you knew back then? I, I really wish I'd known this. <laughs> I just things happen a certain way for the people mm-hmm. around you. doesn't make it the right way for you. Um, and parenthood is hard. And it doesn't matter how children It's just, it's hard. There are parts that are hard. And I thought that getting pregnant or staying pregnant would be the hard part. And it's just the beginning. So, um, What would you tell yourself back then if you could talk to that woman? I think this is the most now. important thing that I would say to myself, which is uh, don't compare yourself to other people. Um, it's both possible to be happy for other people and still be sad about your own circumstances. And um, just because something happens easily for someone doesn't mean that it will always be easy for them either um, and vice versa. So I sort of thought like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I can't conceive. That's it, you know, period. Or like other people can conceive easily. Their life is easy. And then you, one of my best friends conceived right. both of her boys very easily. And then, you know, one of her boys is um, neurodiverse. And, you know, it it's not easy. And so just because she conceived easily when I was struggling um, doesn't mean it kept being <laughs> just because it was hard for me before doesn't mean that it kept being mm-hmm. hard and just because things have gone well in the meantime doesn't mean it won't be hard again so right it's just so much more complicated than those superficial yeah. comparisons it's, it's, yeah um <laughs> i wrote don't be afraid mm-hmm. to fight for what you want and what you think is important and be kind to yourself and the people you meet i love that good good advice last question why do you think it's important to do and go through you hard things, things other people and about the importance of empathy and kindness and patience and trust and I never would have met some of the most amazing people in my life so that's it for our now second episode of the Anonymous series again my hope is that you found some solidarity in Stephanie's message and that you feel a little less alone during this motherhood journey I have a lot more interviews already lined up for my Anonymous series so be sure to stay tuned for more if you'd like to be interviewed for my Anonymous series email me at jennaoverbaugh at gmail.com For more resources and information, be sure to check out my website at jennaoverbaugh.com. You can also find me on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh. Sign up for my email newsletter to stay the most up to date on the latest resources and tools that I'll be giving you for your mental, physical, and spiritual health. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.